All right. Uh, this morning we have a treat. Andrew Hudson is going to be uh, giving us our Palm Sunday service. Let's welcome Andrew. Thanks, Michael. Hey, good morning. Hey, I want to do something a little bit different. It just came to my attention that there was an ex- two explosions in Egypt in Catholic churches. So let's just pray for them real quick right now. Um, Lord, we just, um, you know, as we're worshiping and celebrating today, Lord, we just pray you'd be with those communities. Lord, we pray for your presence to be there. We pray for um, just your peace as people are scared and concerned and suffering. We pray for reconciliation to come to that community. Uh, We pray for an end of, of terror in that community. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here, it's great to be here with you guys today. Uh, we, like Michael said, we have a lot to celebrate. We have celebrating 15 years of being uh, a church and local church in this community. We have, um, we have 11 people who are going to get baptized here in a little bit today, which is really cool. Yeah. And it also happens to be Palm Sunday, which is the, traditionally the, week, the weekend leading up to Easter. And so... Um, we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit today in my message. And, uh, but as a boy, Palm Sunday, uh, growing up in a very traditional church, Palm Sunday was one of my favorite weekends of the year because uh, when we walk in, they would give us toy swords. And by that, I mean they would give us these long, skinny palm leaves. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of them, sometimes they look more like fans or whatever, but these were long, skinny palm leaves, and they had a point on the end. And my brother and I were in heaven. We were like... <laughs> This is awesome. And, uh, and it, but in about five minutes, we were in the pews, you know, like slaying imaginary dragons. And it was only a few minutes after that that the evil king and queen known as our parents confiscated those, uh, those palm branches. But that's what I remember about Palm Sunday as a kid. So I learned since then there's a lot more to it than that. But, um, but, but let's pray and just invite God again here. Let's just pray for what he's going to do today. So Lord, we... We just have so much to celebrate today. Thank you for the gift of baptism. And I pray for those preparing to be baptized today that they would be excited. That any nervousness that they're feeling right now, that you would overwhelm them with your love. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing. You've done in this local church for the past 15 years. And we look forward to what you'll do and all the wonderful things you have planned for this community in the next 15 years. And God, we thank you for Palm Sunday. And as we, as we study this important event, will your Holy Spirit challenge us and encourage us and grab our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking at the biblical story that kind of commemorates Palm Sunday, which in your Bible is traditionally known as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it's found in all four Gospels, but we're going to be focusing on the Gospel of Matthew this morning. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Matthew 21, uh, if you don't, I know we have Bibles up on the stage and in the back of the sound booth, or you can follow along on the screen or get out your device and use your Bible app on there. But we're going to be looking at Matthew 21 and just kind of jump right into it here. So starting off in verse 1, it says this, as they meaning Jesus and his followers, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. 
And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, which was another name for Jerusalem, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. And that's a quote from Zechariah, an Old Testament prophet, Zechariah 9.9. And then it keeps going in verse 6. It says this, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very loud, loud, that's not a word, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And, And John tells us in his gospel that they were particularly palm branches. So that's where we get the idea of Palm Sunday from. But let's just stop right there for a second and let's acknowledge that there's some, this is an odd story. Some of you have heard this story dozens and dozens of times, but have you really thought about how this is kind of an unusual story, what's happening here? There's a lot of odd things happening. I mean, first, can we acknowledge that Jesus basically tells his disciples to go steal a couple donkeys? I mean, that's basically what happens, right? I mean, he's going to give them back. He's borrowing them, but, but he just tells them to go borrow some donkeys and come back, and he's basically waiting for them. And then as Jesus starts coming into town in Jerusalem, um, the people just start, um, well, they start laying down their coats or their cloaks on the ground for the donkeys and Jesus to walk on. And that seems really odd, right? Well, there's this uh, story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 9 where there's some precedence of why they may have done this. There was a prophet named Elisha, and Elisha was anointing a new king, uh, Jehu, to be the king over the Jewish people. And when the people found out that Jehu was going to be the king, they, uh, and he starts going through the city, they took off their coats and he walked on them as just a sign of respect and approval uh, that they, they agreed with this choice. So we do see that, that maybe to them, this may not have been so weird. Um, but then they're also laying down palm branches. And you may think, well, what's, what's that all about? What palm branches? Well, there, all, there was also a tradition that whenever a military... A king would go on a military conquest and they would come back victorious. That the, the city would cheer and uh, celebrate their victory by waving palm branches like banners and laying them on the ground. So just to kind of give you a little bit of history of why they may have been doing these things. Let's keep going though in verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of them, of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And this word Hosanna is a Hebrew expression that means save. So they're basically saying, you know, you're our savior. And they're singing actually one of their worship songs. This phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is, a, is in Psalm 118. It would have been one of the songs they would have sung in worship. And verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and asked, who is this? And the crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So the first point I want to make uh, in your notes is that Palm Sunday, in this story right here, it demonstrates that this is a time of anticipation. A time of anticipation. You know, for those who've been here the last few weeks, you know that we've been in this series studying different kings of the Old Testament. And at this point in history, the Jewish people, uh, there was no king. And there hadn't been a king for a really long time. Um, They were being controlled by the Roman people right now. 
And uh, there were, but there was Jewish prophets had told of a future time when a, a Messiah, a king, would rise up and come back into town and, uh, and, and, and restore, restore their kingdom. And, um, and, they, and even that prophet Zechariah, when he spoke back in that quote a little bit earlier, when he spoke about a king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, he, he wrote that 500 years before Jesus. So these people have been waiting a long time. They've been waiting a long time. Um, but not everybody was anticipating Jesus' arrival as king coming through the streets of Jerusalem that day. Not everybody was. We learn in verse 10 that some people didn't even know who Jesus was. They had to ask the crowd of followers to uh, tell them about him. And no doubt some people were just too busy that day. They had schedules, they had routines, they had jobs, they had their kids they had to run around. They had to-do lists. You know, they were too busy to join in what was going on. And we also have some evidence that there had been false kings who had shown up, false messiahs, claimed to be king, and they'd failed. So no doubt some of the people had kind of, were probably cynical or jaded or thought, well, who's this guy to Jesus, this guy from Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. You know, why would we think that he would be the king? You know, and I know that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time felt that way. But some people, some people had been paying attention. Some people had been waiting with anticipation and expectation and hope that Jesus, who had been this man who they'd seen and heard about, who had been healing sick people and casting out demons, and just a few days before had done something really amazing. He raised a man from the dead, Lazarus. And so they're starting to wonder, could this be the one? Could this be the Messiah? And because they had been paying attention and they were anticipating a new king, they got to participate in something that day that many others missed out on. You know, today in 2017, we live in a time where every day is Jesus is coming to town day. Every day is Jesus coming down to town day because every day God is moving in our neighborhoods. He's moving in our workplaces. He's doing things in our communities, in our lives, in our families. We are called to be a people of anticipation. But too often, we're not, are we? I know I'm not. We get busy and distracted. About all, we have our to-do list. We see somebody in need and we think, oh God, so send somebody to help that person. I have to go here now. I have to do this right now. And we get a little bit further down the road and we realize, oh, I was the one you sent to help that person. And I missed it. And I missed that opportunity. We spend uh, most of our lives distracted by non-essential things and forsake the most important things. You know, another prophet by the name of Micah, in a book, another book in the Old Testament, Micah 7, 7 says this, but as for me, I watch expectantly for the Lord. Another way that could be translated is I watch with anticipation for the Lord. And you know, as I've observed Christians over the years, as I've watched Christians, and I've noticed that there are some Christians that seem to have almost like a superpower in knowing what God's up to and anticipating what God's gonna do. There's people I've watched, they seem to, it seems like all the time they're just inviting people into a relationship with God. They have stories all the time. Or it seems like whenever they go into a crisis, they have this, this attitude that God's going to be with them and God's doing something through it. They seem to be, they're the people that, that 
seem to get to do a lot of the stuff with God. And I've always looked up to those people and I've thought, I want to become like them. Do you know people like that? Are you thinking of somebody like that in your mind right now? You know, what I've realized to come to true is, is that you would think that, I've, that they don't always have the same things in common. That I, I would, I've noticed that not all those people uh, have a lot of training. And they don't always have a lot of years of experience. You might think, oh, those people have been Christians for a long time. That's not always true. But you know what they all have in common? They're all people of anticipation. They're all people of anticipation. They all get up every morning and saying, God, what do you have for me to do today? What do you have planned for me? They wake up, they're hungry for God. They're hungry for what God is doing. And they're paying attention. So how do we become like that? How do we become like those people? How do we learn to anticipate God? Well, one thing I have also noticed that's true about them is those kinds of people, they pray a lot. They pray a lot. They pray like all the time. They're not people who pray when they need something only or pray once a day. They're constantly talking with God. They're constantly communicating with God. They, they live their life by a motto that says, the more I talk with God, the more I know I'm going to anticipate what he's up to. They believe that that is true. I mean, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus all the time would, would go off and talk with the Father. All the time he would disappear from crowds and disappear to just kind of clue in what's going on. And when people would ask him, how do you do all this magical stuff? How do you know how to do all this stuff? He would just say, I just see what the Father's doing and then I go do it. I just see what God is doing. You know, how did Jesus know in this story to go send some disciples to borrow a donkey and it's cold? How do you know to do that? Well, it doesn't tell us specifically in the story, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that he just prayed about it. He probably, I'm, I'm confident that as he was coming towards Jerusalem, he was talking with the Father. And he was saying, okay, God, what, what's, what's happening right now? He knew about kind of an idea of what he was going to go do. But I'm confident that, that God reminded him of that prophecy in the Old Testament. Put that verse in his mind and said, okay, now's the day. And he, and he gave him the idea and the faith to say, send some of your, send some of your crew to go get a, you know, a donkey and a colt. It'll be there. And he did it. And he did it. Think about the people that you know really well. I mean really well. Like a spouse or a close friend. Somebody that you talk with all the time. You have lots of conversations with. Isn't it true that those few people in our lives that we know really, really well, that over time we start to kind of in conversation sometimes know what they're going to say before they even say it? Do you have people in your life like that? Sometimes that's not always a good thing, I know. <laughs> um, but I know my wife, Sarah, my wife, Sarah, has heard me ramble on and on for years, you know. And um, she has picked up on a few things that I do all the time. She knows that basically anytime I explain something or give an example of something, I'm always going to give three reasons every time I do it. It's subconscious. I don't even know I'm doing it. So, like, it could be as simple as if I go to the grocery store and I come back home and I... You know, I, I find this really, the, this ginormous apple. You know, this really, I'd be like, Sarah, look how big, the, look at this apple. Look how big and huge and ginormous it is. And literally, as I'm doing that, I'll look up and I'll, I'd hold up the apple and I'll see her counting on her fingers. And when I get to the third one, she's like nodding her head like, yeah, I knew you were going to do that. You could have just said it was big. 
would, you know, like, why did you have to do it three times? But she knows me. She knows how I think. She knows how my brain's wired, even sometimes better than I do. I guess that's just women, though, right? But <laughs> um, they know they're how people think better than men do. But, um, but yeah, I mean, in our, our way and our ability to anticipate God is the same way. The more time we spend talking with him, the more we're going to start to think and understand how he works. We're going to understand his character, what he cares about. And we'll start to be able to grow in anticipating him better. The second point I want to make is that this story was a time of misconception. This story is filled with misconceptions. The Jewish people longed for a king to rise up and kick the Romans out of Israel. But they were wrong in thinking that that's what Jesus came to do. God had bigger plans. God had bigger plans. The crowds were cheering and shouting and singing. And look at that, I just did it, didn't I? Cheering and shouting and singing. Um, they were cheering and shouting and singing for Jesus. But you know what Luke tells us in his version of this story? He tells us that Jesus was weeping. Jesus was weeping. As Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, he was weeping for a city that he loved, for a people that he was in love with because they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They thought he was coming to be their victorious king and he was coming to die on a cross for them. They didn't get it. And they're waving palm branches like he, is, he won this victorious battle. But they totally missed that he was riding on a donkey. You know, if Jesus came to win a military battle, he would have come on a big war horse, a tall horse, fit for battle. But yeah, he came on the colt of a donkey. And back then, when a king would ride on a donkey, it was a sign of a peaceful king, a king coming in peace. At times, it was even a sign of a defeated king or a king that had surrendered. Surrendered. Think about that. He came riding on the colt of a donkey, surrendering his life. They, they were filled with misconceptions. The people in that crowd that day had misconceptions because they were nearsighted. They were nearsighted. They were looking for an immediate savior, but Jesus came to be an eternal savior. They could only see their small nation's immediate need. What they didn't see was God's bigger picture, his bigger plan. They didn't see that Jesus had come to be the savior of all nations, of all people groups for the rest of the history of the world. When we're going through tough times, like these people, we often get nearsighted too. We can only see our immediate need, but God is often more concerned about the big picture, our long-term future. We don't have a slide for this, but Jeremiah 29, 11 is a real common verse that's often quoted. And listen to this real quick. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Notice how, how this verse is so future-oriented. It's not immediate-oriented. It's not about right now. I have plans for your future. Hope for the future. You know, the plans that God has for you are not always for right now, but if you're struggling with something right now in your life and he's not meeting your immediate need like you wished he would, you can take heart that God is still with you and he's still a good God and he still has good things for you. 
And you can be encouraged and strengthened and, and given perseverance to get through these times. And finally, in this story, we see that it's a time of celebration. It's a time of celebration. It's the third point I want to make. It's a time of celebration. God created us to be a people who celebrate. If you read through the Gospels, you read through the Gospels, Jesus spends a lot of time in celebrations. He goes to weddings. He goes to parties. Jesus partied a lot. He did. He went to a lot of parties. If you look at all the stories in the Gospels where Jesus was involved in some sort of party and you took those out, you would be missing huge chunks of Scripture. We are made to be a people who celebrate, and we have a lot to celebrate this weekend. We have a lot to celebrate this weekend. We have a lot to celebrate this week with Easter and baptisms here in a minute. You know, as a dad of of three small kids, you know, I look forward to many different years and opportunities to have lots of celebrations with my kids. I look forward to their future birthdays and, and down the road graduations and maybe someday weddings and way down the road maybe grandkids. But you know, as a Christian, as a Christian, do you know what I look forward to the most? Do you know what I look forward to the most? I look forward and I pray for and long for the day my kids come into a relationship with Christ and they want to get baptized. You know, I look forward to that celebration the most. All those other celebrations are great and they're wonderful. And they're, they should be celebrated. But they only have earthly implications. Baptism has eternal implications. Amen. So I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. And according to that tradition, I was baptized as an infant. My parents uh, had me baptized as a little baby that I obviously don't remember. But as I grew up and I started coming and I actually came into the vineyard, When I was 21 years old, I was a member of Vineyard Columbus, I decided that I wanted to get baptized again as an adult. Not because I felt like I had to, not like because I felt like my my infant baptism didn't count, or definitely not because I thought my salvation depended upon it, because that would be completely unbiblical. You know, we are saved by faith alone, by the grace of God. You know, not by anything that we've done. I wanted to get baptized again simply because I really, really wanted to. God had Dutch, had radi- was radically doing things in my life. He was radically shaping and transforming my life, and I was compelled to do it. It was the only thing I knew to do, the only way I knew to respond to his love for me. So when I was 21, I got baptized again, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And, uh, and like about a week or two later, I got this nice little certificate from Vineyard Columbus, and I was so excited to get it. And I opened it up, and I had a certificate, and I had this picture of my baptism in it. Go ahead and put that picture up there. Look at this picture. Now, I was so excited to get this, and then I opened it up, and let's be honest, that is a terrible picture. That is horrible. I mean, my eyes are closed. Some people come up out of the water, and they're smiling, and they're glowing, and the Holy Spirit is all over them. And I'm like, ooh, you know, like my face and my mouth, and I don't know what I'm doing or saying. And I don't know if you can tell, but I had really long hair. Can you tell that in the picture? My hair is back here, and I came up out of the water, 
and I, I suppose, I like Fabio, I <laughs> baptized everybody in the front three rows, I think, and Rich Nathan on the right, he's like, God bless him, he's like leaning as far away from me as possible. Uh, you know, and, you know, some, to someone who doesn't know Jesus, they would think, that, that is a horrible picture. Why would you not burn that, like, immediately? <laughs> you know, that's terrible. Let alone would you share that with, you know, hundreds of people, you know, on stage. You know, and it is. It's a terrible picture. But if you know Jesus... If you know Jesus, if you've had a similar experience to me, then in this weird, crazy way, you would know that this is one of the mo my most favorite pictures of all time. Not because of what it looks like, because it looks terrible. <laughs> but because of what it represents. It represents my life with Christ. Abundant, freeing life with Jesus with a loving and gracious God. And I will never be ashamed of that picture. Amen? Amen. So let's celebrate baptisms, and hopefully we can get some better pictures than that one. Right? All right. All right. Thank you, Andrew.